0: Hi, I'm Kirsten McGregor, and you're listening to A Grey Matter, the neuroscience podcast from the Queensland Brain Institute. This week, the grey matter in question is not in fact the brain, but the bleached corals of the Great Barrier Reef. Professor Justin Marshall heads up the Sensory Neurobiology Lab at QBI. His life's work has centred on the reef in all its glory, and how the creatures that live there see their world. He researches the visual systems of reef fish and mantis shrimp and their applications for humans. For example, mantis shrimp eyes are inspiring the design of new cameras which can detect cancers using polarised light. Professor Marshall's team also established the citizen science project Coral Watch, which has non-scientists around the world reporting on the health of corals using a specially designed colour chart. Recently, Justin was Chief Coordinating Scientist on Sir David Attenborough's Great Barrier Reef series, which will screen on ABC TV this year. Earlier this month, amid predictions of coral bleaching, Justin made what he hoped would be a regular research dive at Lizard Island off the far north Queensland coast. Instead, what he found horrified him. The coral bleaching was like none he'd seen before and aerial vision has since confirmed the extent of the damage. Justin's photos and videos from the trip have now been seen across the world. For Justin, this is both a deeply personal affront and a global concern. Exclusive footage of the Great Barrier Reef shows what could be the most severe and extensive coral bleaching Bleaching. on
1: record. Coral bleaching is caused uh, when the temperature of the ocean rises above normal and for an extended period of time. Um, Corals uh, can put up with high temperature for a short amount of time, but if you give them too much temperature for too long, they bleach, and that means they lose or um, eject their symbiotic algae. They have these little um, algal elements, these cells within their, their, their tissues, their polyps, and those algae give the coral nutrients. They actually manufacture nutrients just in the same way as a plant does. And the relationship is that the uh, the algae get protection and the coral gets food. So is bleaching a permanent state? Bleaching, um, to some extent, is natural. If you go around a healthy coral reef, you'll see one or two uh, corals bleached, um, perhaps because they're diseased or perhaps they're just stressed for some reason. Widespread bleaching is not Natural. So what we're seeing now is an unnatural uh, bleaching event over uh, a large section of the Northern Barrier Reef. Um, And in fact, globally, we're seeing many of the reefs around the world um, bleaching. Um, And it's because of uh, climate change, it's unequivocally due to carbon emissions in the atmosphere. Unfortunately, this year we also have an El Nino event, which is exacerbating the process. So um, the reefs are being hit twice. once by an unnatural event and once by a natural event. And that means that they're, um, they're bleaching more than they would normally.
0: We're hearing some horrific stats being bandied around this week. Talk of 95% of the reef being bleached from aerial surveys alone. Can it recover from that, that level of bleaching?
1: Again, that's a very interesting question. And unfortunately, it's one of the unknown things. It's one of those things that comes out after many months of research after the bleaching. So, for instance, in previous bleaches, some areas of the reef have almost fully recovered. Only 5% was lost. However, this bleach is particularly severe for reasons that we don't quite understand yet. And both myself and other researchers from um, AIMS, the Australian Institute of Marine Science, and Gabrumpa, the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, are noticing that many of the corals are already beginning to die. So... A current estimate is that perhaps fifty percent of the corals that are bleached uh, will probably not recover this time.
0: I know you made a trip to Liz- off to the reefs off Lizard Island in the past week. Can you talk me through the moment when you realised how bad things were? That growing horror as you took the dive.
1: Yes, I mean I went to Lizard Island to do other research. So I, I have a number of research projects which we run up there. You know, we work on fish and fish vision and fish colours. Uh, we work on these amazing reef crustaceans, the stomatopods or mantis shrimps. And we were going up there to continue those um, projects. But very rapidly, as soon as we entered the water, as soon as we stuck our head underwater, we basically saw the full horror of what's occurring up there, which is that pretty much 100% of the reefs around Lizard Island are bleached. Um, there are a few, a few corals which look okay, but they're stressed. Um, and this became... Uh, The thing that we we felt we had to record and we had to report on um, during this 10 day field trip. So we spent a lot of our time uh, filming, recording, not just corals, but also uh, the anemones. There are these um, amazing uh, sea anemones, which uh, Nemo, you know, the little anemone fish makes his or her home in. They're also bleaching um, as are giant clams. So a lot of the other reef creatures are are suffering. It's not just the corals. Um, And unfortunately, we spent 10 days in complete misery. Uh, looking at a reef that is in deep distress.
0: Personal misery.
1: Absolutely, I'm. I'm. I think I'm going through a grieving process at the moment. I'm not. Um, I'm still stunned by what we saw. I'm. I'm angry. Um, you know, if you keep emitting carbon into the atmosphere, global climate change will herald the end of, of reefs worldwide, and that is unfortunately what we're seeing.
0: The video you took from that dive trip has travelled across the globe and that incredibly evocative image of Little Nemo against the White Reef, which you called Losing Nemo. Again, it's, it's gone viral. Is it at all heartening that the global community does seem to care?
1: Uh, it is. I mean, we've had a lot of support. And yes, you, as you say, the global community cares. And in fact, you know, it appears that the global community is far more caring than the Australian community. Um, Australia was once the world leader in reef Guardianship and reef um, uh, setting a, setting aside reef areas for uh, a reserve. So the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority um, did a great job in the the eighties and nineties in terms of this. But I think increasingly Australia is now a follower. We we um, we've been led in the wrong direction, um, and we need to um, get our act together and follow the example of the rest of the world. Certainly in terms of. Uh, climate change commitment, which came out of the meeting in Paris, where pretty much unanimously the world agreed that we need to do something.
0: What about the fact that so many Australians have got on board with Coral Watch? They do want to play a role. Talk me through how Coral Watch works.
1: Coral Watch is uh, what's called a citizen science um, organisation or group that I started 12 years ago. Um, it was actually in response to the first uh, global bleach in '98, uh, and then in 2002 we saw another one. So we started this. Um, organization in which uh, we came up with a a color chart, essentially, which uh, through pre-calibration can be used to monitor coral health through its color. And because it's easy to match colors, anyone can do this. So it was designed for non-scientists. It's designed to uh, engage the help of what you might call ordinary citizens that go to the reef. So tourists, school kids, divers, anyone who can get out to the reef uh, can do Coral Watch. They return data, which is fabulous and valuable. And we've got this organization out to over 70 countries. Now it's translated into 12 languages, in particular into Bahasa Indonesia, because for the Indonesians, their reef is um, a matter of life and death. But as well as gathering the data, which is great for the scientists, you know, we we have more, uh, we have more people uh, on the ground, if you like, gathering data for us, because there's only a few scientists to do this. Um, Even more important now than gathering that data is the awareness that this citizen science group is uh, enabling. It, it allows people to think about the reef, to participate in its future. And we very much hope that by doing so, people will take control of the reef again.
0: So it's still relevant to keep monitoring the state of the reef, even though we know how bad things are?
1: It's always relevant to be out there observing and maintaining a, a, a strict scientific basis for what we're saying. And that's really important. It's no good, you know, coming back from somewhere and and mouthing off about stuff without having numbers and figures in the background. That's really important. Um, And it's certainly the case that we should be investing in monitoring. Um, So it's, you know, in a way, it's heartening to see the investment from the government in continued monitoring. But of course, it's no good just watching something die. We actually have to address the root cause. We actually have to do something about what we're learning from the monitoring. And at the moment we're failing to do that. Uh, There are areas in which we're doing well. Um, So the state government, for example, is doing very well in its uh, commitment to local stresses. So we're encouraging better farming practice in Queensland. We're encouraging better water quality from the rivers that flow onto the reef from Queensland. And those local stresses are being addressed very well. Uh, What the uh, government climate, um, what the government um, plan for the reef, which is called Reef 2050, fails to address uh, are the, the more global climate change problems that we're seeing. And on one hand, while it's good to you know, keep an eye on the local stuff, we also have to do better at the more global um, problems of, of the ocean warming, of climate change, of ocean acidification. And these are things that we seem to have our head in the sand about, and it's really important not to do that. And along with the rest of the world, along with all of those countries that went to Paris for the Paris climate change meeting, we have to do better.
0: Your whole life work has really revolved around how fish see colour and, and how that knowledge has application for humans. What happens to fish if there's no colour to see?
1: The colour of the reef is actually the, the reason I, I started using uh, or started the Coral Watch um, citizen science group and using these color cards because as you say, when reef colors change, the fish uh, lose their background. So fish often use very clever ways of camouflaging themselves against the background. So for instance, it's one of, one of the things my research has shown is that all those brightly colored yellow fish on the reef are in fact very well camouflaged against coral for the fish's visual system. Uh, The visual system of fish is very different to humans. So, Although those yellow fish look conspicuous to us, they're not conspicuous to the reef fish themselves. Of course, any fish of any colour is very conspicuous against a white background, and that's a problem. Now, It's probably the case that the predators on the reef are having a field day at the moment, because all of those little fish that were once camouflaged are now standing out against the reef in ways that they they wouldn't do normally.
0: I get the feeling that with all this talk of coral bleaching, I mean, it is taking off. There is a lot of media coverage, but there is also a slight switch off factor in the community. We've been talking about this for a long time. Do you think there's a certain fatigue out there in the community about the issue?
1: There is very much a, um, a sort of, I've heard this all before, fatigue um, issue. Um, when you report something for many years, you know, for 20 years, um of course, people begin to switch off and climate change fatigue is a subject which actually whole books have been written on. You know, how do we get beyond this? How do you get beyond the point of saying over and over again, there's a problem, we should do something about it. There's a problem, we should do something about it. Um, people don't pay attention anymore. Um, and, you know, unfortunately events like this, this massive bleach that we're seeing um, on the reef in the north now do spike people's attention. But again, it's going to be a brief event. I'm sure that within a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, Australia and the rest of the world would have moved on to other things. Um, people stop remembering what's, um, what's important in terms of environmental change. So all we can do as scientists is to continually remind people of what's there, continually show people what's there, uh, and hope that eventually um, someone will take notice. And of course, there are some success stories. So people have taken notice. There are changes. There are permanent changes, which you can point to, um, where people's attitudes and their behavior has been changed. Uh, and we can only hope that that, that this um, necessary change uh, with regard to uh, carbon emission is, one of, one of, is going to be one of the success stories. So hopefully within 10 years, we can look back to um, 2016 and say that was the point where we really began to make a difference. And that was the point where we realized that we did need to do something. Um, and the continued uh, pressure and information from scientists finally took hold.
0: It certainly helps to have the great David Attenborough on board. And he's recently been shooting a documentary series on the reef, which you were chief coordinating scientist on. But it strikes me that a lot of the reef you took him to is currently
1: bleached. That's right. I and mean, it was a great privilege to work with uh, Sir David and his team, Atlantic Productions, on that three-part documentary series, which is about to screen in Australia for the first time um, next month. And yes, many of the reefs that we took him to, particularly in the northern area, are now bleached. They're they're suffering. Some of the corals, which I sat in a submersible and showed David, uh, are now dead. I could actually see them um, in the last week. I went to some of those corals, I recognized them, and some of them are in a very poor state. So uh, I've yet to have the courage to contact David and report back as to what's happening on the reef. He is and has become essentially an environmental warrior, uh, not just for reefs, but for um, the loss of ecosystems worldwide, Yeah, the Antarctic, the poles, we're losing glaciers, we're using, losing ice, we're losing forest, we're losing uh, natural environment at a rate which is completely unacceptable. And in the third part of this series, you'll notice quite a strong focus on the fact that we are losing more reef and what we should do about it. Um, it's sad that, you know, post-shooting this documentary, we've immediately seen um what is essentially a a worldwide reef disaster, um, which was predicted in the documentary, um, we're seeing that now, and what we do about that for the future is is now in our hands.
0: So the documentary gives an incorrect picture, really, of what's actually happening.
1: It gives both a correct and an incorrect picture. It it celebrates the fact that the reef is a beautiful thing, and yes, there is reef left. Um, you know, this 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 is not a point where we throw our hands in the air and say it's all gone, it's all gone. There are still beautiful reef areas to go and visit um and luckily for you know tourism queensland a lot of those reef areas where tourists will go to um were mostly untouched by the the recent bleaching it's certainly been you know, less percent of the reef there has been bleached um so we're lucky in that respect uh, but it also yes it, it portrays an incorrect picture in that um some of the more you know pristine northern areas of reef which we visited um are now heavily bleached, and within a few months are likely to be 50% dead.
0: How did you show Sir David the reef? I don't think he's a scuba diver, is he?
1: He used to be, and in fact that was part of uh, what this documentary series was about. Um, He visited the reef as a young uh, reporter 60 years ago, and he scuba-dived the reef then. Of course, as a, well now, 90-year-old, he can't scuba dive, so... We took him down in a state-of-the-art submersible, the the Triton submersible, which is a three-man acrylic sphere. It's like being in a a goldfish bowl, but backwards. You're in a a bubble of air going down in the ocean. Uh, We took him down to 300 meters on the Great Barrier Reef, which is the first time anyone's been that deep. So that was a great excitement and a great privilege to see the reef from the surface down to 300 meters. He He was totally thrilled. He was amazed to see this structure, which he visited first. 60 years ago, um, and as a great, well, as the great science communicator, um, and as Australia will see during this documentary series, um, he does a fantastic job of relaying uh, what life lives there, uh, the animals that live on the reef, um, you know, their day to day habits, but also a fantastic job of of encouraging uh, the human species to look after the reef better.
0: You sound very calm talking about it now, but surely that was a pinch me moment for
1: you. Working with Sir David was certainly a pinch me moment. I, I, you know, I, I literally sat in the submersible with this man next to me, and I couldn't believe it. You know, there I am in a documentary. Of course, the production team did their best to obliterate me from the screen. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the black blob sitting next to Sir David Attenborough, and that's that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm the the guide in the background. I'm providing the some of the guidance and some of the the information in the background, and that's the way it should be. But yes, a, a total you know moment of A scientist's dream to work with the best science communicator um, on a fantastic living structure, the Great Barrier Reef, um, talking about the lives of the animals that live there, showing Sir David some of the the biology of the life there. And a lot of my research has come through into this um, documentary series. So the the mantis shrimp and the vision of animals, uh, the eyesight of animals that live on the reef um, is based around the research that we do in the Marshall Laboratory.
0: Are our kids going to get to enjoy the reef the way we have?
1: Um, Unfortunately, the answer to that is no. Um, And this is really what upsets me the most because we are stealing the future from our children. This is the subject or a large part of the conversation that Sir David Attenborough had with um, the US President, Barack Obama, um, a few months ago, or I think on the occasion of his 89th birthday. And they talked about how both of them want their grandchildren to have the opportunity to visit the reef and to wonder at the, the amazing life uh, on the reef in the same way as they, they both did. Um, that's becoming increasingly hard. Um, I take my children to the reef. I've taken them to the reef since they were age four. <clears throat> Unfortunately now, um, to be honest, over the last few days or weeks, I would be ashamed to take my children to the reef. As an adult who's, you know, on whose watch this disaster has unfolded, Um, I'm frustrated that we haven't done enough. Um, I'm upset to show them the reef in a condition which is uh, dying. Um, Some of it will come back and they will see something. It's not going to disappear in the next 10 years, but it's quite possible that over the next 100 years or so, we will see um, the demise of most of the reef systems worldwide. We have already lost 50% of the reef systems worldwide in the last... 30 years or so. And this is undoubtedly due to um, anthropogenic, man-made um, factors. The fact that we rely on fossil fuels and keep burning fossil fuels is something that is uh, destroying many ecosystems worldwide. And unfortunately, one of the most beautiful of those is our reef systems. Um, and we have to hold ourselves responsible for that and apologize to our children for a bad effort all around.
0: That's Professor Justin Marshall from the QBI Sensory Neurobiology Lab. You can play your role by visiting coralwatch.org. And that David Attenborough ABC TV series screens on Sunday nights from April the 10th. You can follow QBI on Twitter or Facebook, or give this podcast a review on iTunes. I'm Kirsten McGregor. Thanks for listening.